The information provided on the Finesse Your Money podcast is not intended to constitute legal, business, financial or other professional or product advice. It is provided as general information only and is not intended as a substitute for personal advice from a qualified and licensed professional who is familiar with the facts of your particular circumstances. Ever asked yourself where your money is going? It's a common problem for businesses and people personally. Is it dumb luck to be successful with money? Or is it the smartest and most successful businesses and people that plan and know their numbers? Is your money out of control or needing some finessing? In this second season of Finesse Your Money, we're focusing on growth for businesses and personal and practical steps that you can take to grow. We explore what inspires our inspirational guests and the importance of giving back. We've also got some excellent tips from our guests about their planning process and who they rely on to keep their money under control and set themselves up for a bright, happy future. Get ready to be inspired. I'm Janine Wilson, the host of Finesse Your Money. I've been a financial advisor for 10 years and an accountant beforehand for, well, many more years. I'm the founder of Finesse Financial Advisors. Our guest today is Glenn Carlson. Glenn's the co-founder of Dent Global and the key person of Influence Accelerator. With operations in the UK, Australia and Canada, he's known for helping entrepreneurs stand out, scale up and make a dent in the universe. Glenn will tell you he's about inspiring entrepreneurs to build their businesses as a force for good. I can't wait to hear more about that today. Welcome, Glenn. Uh, really great to be here. Thanks for having me, Janine. It's our pleasure. I'm sure we're going to get lots of absolute gems from this conversation. So stay tuned. So Glenn, you're the co-founder of Dent Global and the driving force behind Key Person of Influence in Australia. Can you tell us more about that work? I mean, look, I guess I've been a business geek since I was little. I had my entrepreneurial seizure, as it's often referred to. When I was 14, I was working in McDonald's at the time, trying to earn a living. And my dad taught me that the only reason money will ever come into your bank account is if you're fixing something for someone. Now, he was a boat builder and he used to fix boats. He was in the Navy. So he had a, a very, I guess, tangible approach to fixing it. What I realized, though, is that there are lots of different problems. It didn't just have to be a, a broken boat. And so um, I didn't go too far away from boats to start with, though. I, I I went around the marina because we lived on a boat, so we're living in the marina. Uh, and I went and asked uh, a whole bunch of captains or sailors if they had any problems I could fix. And it was just luck, I suppose, that there was a big race coming up at the end of the week and, and they all wanted the bottoms of their boats cleaned to get extra speed. And I could do that. I had all the gear. I was a scuba diver. And so uh, I ended up making about two or three grand that week compared to my $300 a month working in McDonald's. And so I guess I fell in love with business early and I've just always been fascinated about it. I was, I mean, I joined Amway for the tapes so I could learn all these different insights and then it kind of evolved from there. And I had a whole bunch of mates that said, oh, we'd love to listen to those as well. So I ended up finding the speaker and we put on an event and then we started promoting events and we started bringing these speakers together and you know that grew and expanded and look a really long story short we're just really passionate about connecting business owners with the experts the insights the tools the technology they need to be able to build a better business and and so now we run structured training programs all around the world 
the UK, Canada. We've run in uh, America and Singapore and, of course, here in Australia. But yeah, best known, as you mentioned, for the Key Person of Influence program where we help business owners really, I guess, cut through the noise, become outstanding in their industry so they show up as the thought leader and, and as that go-to brand. I've heard quite a bit about your career in the past, but tell us about your career and what that inspiration was to help people raise their influence. Well, the first business that we built, which was promoting speakers, we got pretty good at it. After three years, we were doing about 10 million in sales a year. We were doing about 150 events a year. And so we got pretty good at marketing. And this was before the interwebs. So this was like fax broadcasting and broadsheet newspaper advertising advertising back in the day. And one of the things we discovered very quickly was the ability to get bums on seats, the ability to get the attention of the market had a lot less to do with marketing and a lot more to do with how that person was already positioned in their industry, right? So if you Googled them, what showed up, you know, were they credible? Were they an author? Were they an authority in their space? And, and was it easy for people to recognize that? And we found for those people, it was far easier and far cheaper to pull a crowd. And so what we started doing was actually developing influencers. We started working with our speakers and packaging them so they were easier to market. Anyway, we did this for I don't know, eight years and then 2008, 2009 GFC hit. We we're based in London and just pulled the rug out pretty much straight out from underneath us. We tried to sell the business just prior to that and discovered that it, it wasn't worth anything. Uh, because all the assets we developed in the business, they weren't proprietary, they weren't unique. People could go down the road and buy AV equipment or it was very easy to acquire a database. We'd, we'd not really developed anything unique that we could own and so our business collapsed and yet the businesses of all of the clients that we'd worked with, and there might have been about 10 of them at that point, they were thriving because they had these great personal brands. They had these digital ecosystems of products that we'd help them create so they could you know, have a global uh, platform and a global business. And here we are with a business that we couldn't sell, the plumber with the leaky taps, and we were pretty disheartened, to be honest. And one of our mentors said, the funny thing is, is that if you had done to yourselves what you'd done to your clients, you guys would be thriving right now. That's true. And so what decisions are you going to make now to set yourself up for the next 10 years? And this was 10 years ago because he said, look, these economic cycles happen all the time. First and foremost, how could we develop unique assets and unique IP that was uniquely ours? How could we build a personal brand and some influence around that that would survive a business collapse, if that makes sense? Because while your business might die, your personal brand will, will live on. And then how do we develop sort of a, a digital ecosystem of, of our own? And, and we wanted to expand globally. Uh, we wanted to expand horizontally and, and acquire different businesses across different industries. And that was all part of our strategy that kind of came out of the 2009 GFC, which, you know, for those of you in the future listening now, it's all in the middle of the corona stuff. And yet our business has been able to, to thrive amidst all the chaos, I think, because of the decisions we made back in in 2009. So it seems to me, Glenn, that you've always sort of had this really big, audacious goals, if you like, and you've always had sort of a global or universal view. So what does making a dent in the universe really look like for you? Yeah, and I guess maybe the global view, I mentioned my dad was a boat builder in the Navy. 
he built our boat and we sailed around the world for seven years. So I'd been to 46 countries by the time I was 14. So if I have a global outlook, it's it's my parents that have uh, the credit for that. And navigation skills, navigating the way of the world. Yeah. And I guess the pragmatism of, you know, you're, you're either on track for a destination or you're not. And really, there's nothing holding you in any one destination other than your own anchor, right? So you can decide to cut it off, pull it up and... You know, so long as you understand the, the basics of navigation and wind and direction, you can kind of go anywhere you want. To, to answer your question, both my business partner, Daniel, and I, both of our families are kind of middle class. Both of them had their own struggles financially, and both of us kind of had this motivation to solve the money problem, right? Mon- money seemed to be the solution, but there's a lot of pressure to, to perform and that your value in the world is based on how well you perform. And so very early, the the key metric for performance we worked out was money. And so our 20s were really focused on how to make money. And the 2008, 2009, we're in our late 20s. And this whole chase for money thing seemed like something was lacking because we'd made a bunch of money and we'd learned that that actually doesn't make you happy. And, and we always thought that the people that said, you know, money won't make you happy were kind of idiots or had missed something because we were like, no, no, that'll make us happy. So you just left felt feeling a bit empty. <laughs> yeah, you know, this kind of existential vacuum that we'd, we'd kind of hit the superficial levels of success. I mean, we were doing pretty well. We're in our 20s, multi-million dollar business, global expansion, all that kind of stuff. You know, we could tick a lot of boxes that a lot of kids our own age couldn't tick. So from an ego perspective, we had enough to hang our hat on. And yet from a a spiritual or a heart perspective, that definitely felt like something was missing. And we we're both fans of Steve Jobs, you know, he's a bit of a hero. And he said something that just kind of stopped me dead. He said, if you're not making a dent in the universe, then why even bother? And that was a real wake up moment, I guess, because we weren't trying to make a dent in the universe. We weren't trying to make a real impact. We we're trying to make money and we were trying to make money well, like we weren't ripping people off and it was in the service of money. And the idea of making a dent in the universe is this idea of being up to something beyond making money. And so we kind of rethought our approach and we considered what, what if our primary focus was to make a difference, to create an impact in the lives of people that we never met? What if that was genuinely our primary objective? And, you know, we've never really looked back. So maybe this is a simple answer, but what's one mistake that you see people making over and over when it comes to business and money and, you know, how can they avoid it? I guess it depends on where people are at in their journey. We've studied the entrepreneur journey quite substantially uh, over the last 10 years, obviously, and it really depends on the size of business. Let's assume someone's listening, they've got an established business, they've got a career, but they've, they've hit a level of plateau, right? Because that's the majority, I think. Let's say you're in startup, right? No, no business, no career, nothing. Your first job is to prove value in the market, right? One of the makes, mistakes we pe- see people making at the very start is they focus too much on their brand and their message and not enough on their value, right? So step one is about creating value that serves your customers in a remarkable way, even if it's commoditized, right? So building a commodity is actually quite powerful because at least it means you are in the market. You're a commodity in the market. People understand what you do. They can buy from you, etc. That's phase one. However, most the big mistake we see most business owners make is they stay commoditized 
for far too long. Their hope is that doing great work will decommoditize them, but of course it doesn't because there's more competition now than ever. So we see that the biggest mistake people make is they stay in the commoditized land of trying to differentiate themselves by adding more value. Now, this has really got to be heard, not from the perspective that you shouldn't create value, but once you've worked out how to create great value, as a founder, as the business owner, as the leader, it is your responsibility to shift gears. In the same way, when you get to you know, four or 5,000 revs in your car, you've wound out that gear. It's now time to change gears. It's served its purpose. And so the gear shift in business is shifting to building influence around that value. How do you get known, liked, and trusted at a degree of scale to attract enough inbound opportunity, not just of clients, but attract the right team, attract the right media, the partners, the awards, all those different things that starts to then decommoditize you in the world. And so that's, I guess, what we exist to uh, show up as a bit of an intervention to help small business owners recognize, oh, I've, I've created all this value, but now I need to differentiate it. Is that around really finding the voice and amplifying? Yeah, I think finding the voice can maybe sound a bit too you know, warm and fuzzy, like a plumber's not really thinking about how they find their voice in the world. When we talk about influence, there are five categories. So uh, we see your pitch is really important. So just how you communicate your value, not so much about your voice, but just straight up how you communicate your value effectively and, and what you do and why it's why it's valuable. Publishing content is about sharing, pretty much sharing the same ideas that you would currently share to inspire someone to buy your stuff. Uh, but instead of sharing it like one-to-one -one in a sales conversation or as a story or an anecdote or an example, we want to help people publish it in books, blogs, articles, you know, videos, things like that. So they, they can have a wider audience experiencing their value. So it's essentially a way to scale your pitch. We want to help them develop products. So especially a digital product ecosystem, we want to help them raise their profile and do partnerships. So those five elements, pitch, publish, product, profile, partnerships, are the key components of influence. So it's less about finding your voice or anything like that. We see lots of you know, very, very successful influential businesses that it's not so much a voice, they've just focused on developing those five areas of their business quite well and I guess that's the gear shift. That's what takes them to the next level, not finding some kind of you know, magical or, or super unique thing. It's actually just the development of those five areas that come together almost like a perfect storm that create the unique thing, almost like a, you know, the, the product of the whole is greater than the sum of the parts type of a manoeuvre. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So we're facing into tough economic times. I'm certain that you have that same view. Is the one question businesses and people should generally be asking themselves is, you know, how can I make this better? Not this better because, uh, well, I'll speak for myself. I don't have the ability to influence the economy or Corona or any of that sort of stuff. So there's nothing I can do to make this uh, better. I think one of the key things is to focus on what is our sphere of influence. And instead of can we make this better, it's what can we make better, right? Who can we help? Who can we serve? What's the problem we can solve? Because for a lot of businesses, and I'm seeing a lot of businesses that are just straight up shut, right? So, you know, if you're, you're a restaurant, you're in, you're in trouble, right? You got to wait till it, wait till it opens up or you've got to pivot into something new. 
But I'm also seeing that there's uh, a lot of businesses that have got products and services that people need. However, they're kind of getting stuck or stalled because there is a, a very broad sentiment of wait and see type thinking, I suppose, uh, at the moment. And the thing that we find with key people of influence, you know, like a key person of influence is someone that is very, very committed to helping someone achieve an outcome. There's someone that's very committed to solving a problem for a person and then multiple people and maybe it's a community, maybe it's a nation, maybe it's a world, right, depending on what scale of influence we're choosing to play at. And so I think it's always best to come back and say, what problem can I solve for someone? Because a lot of businesses that are struggling, what's happened is is because of the corona and what's going to become the economy and all that sort of stuff, as people's priorities have shifted. What was a priority six months ago isn't a priority anymore. Training's a great example. And, and a few of those little shifts make a huge difference. The moment a business owner shows up as the leader with a clear voice and a clear message in terms of here's an outcome that's available, uh, here are some of the mistakes that might be otherwise keeping you stuck. And all of a sudden, businesses turn back on again because when the world turns to chaos, people look for the key people of influence. People look for those that have a, a clear signal amidst the noise. And that gives us certainty. It gives us confidence. It gives us hope. It gives us comfort. Uh, and so we tend to be attracted to those people. And so a big thing that I would say we need to focus on or business owners need to focus on first and foremost is what is the new value for your customers? And, and it doesn't mean throwing the baby out with the bathwater in terms of what you do doesn't work. It might just need a little tweak to make it much more relevant for the new times that we're in. I think the second thing would be making sure that you're showing up in your marketing and your communications with a lot of certainty around how you engineer outcomes for your customers. And I think those two things are the things that we're seeing making a, uh, a really big difference in businesses at the moment um, for the better. Mm. So I, I have to say, Glenn, that with the recent bushfires in, in Australia, you know, you walk the talk because I saw that, you know, with the bushfires, you gathered up some support and you jumped in your car and you went and directly helped communities that really needed it. And so that action left a lasting impression on me. And it certainly resonates with what you just said about rising up as someone of influence because people look to those influences for, you know, hope and, and a way forward, if you like. I think almost every Australian, certainly everyone that I know, did something in those fires. I mean, I was down, I'm a, I'm a clubby down at the Bondi Surf Club and we've got a massive hall and, and within four days it was full of water and like all sorts of food and protein bars and, you know, sanitary items. You know, I think in the same way that we're in our late 20s and kind of feeling this existential crisis, I think it's part of the human condition. We want to help. We want to make a difference. We're often just so preoccupied trying to pay the bills, you know. We think we have to bury that in the service of the work. Giving doesn't have to be costly, in my opinion, and I think that, you know, giving back to the community or, you know, in, in whatever way you can actually adds a lot of a lot to you personally, you know, in, in the way you feel about yourself and you feel about the world. 
Yeah, I think giving is the most value creating thing you can do. Let's turn now to personal money. You have a young family. Do you have a financial plan and did you build it yourself or did you get some professional help to put it together? You know, what's your story there? Yeah, so we do have a financial plan. So Sarah and I, we have a life meeting before Mila. We used to have it every week. Now we have it every two weeks. Um, And our life meeting covers a few things. I mean, it, it covers personal stuff so we connect personally and that's really beautiful but we also talk numbers we've brought into our family life some of the same principles we apply in business you know one of the things that we apply in business is profit first there's this great book by Matthew McCallowitz called profit first which I highly encourage you know everyone to read business or not but it talks about uh, the Parkinson principle and the Parkinson principle is essentially when applied to health for example, you'll eat everything on your, we have a tendency to eat everything on our plate. Um, and so the Parkinson principle says, well, if you want to lose weight, get smaller plates because you'll put less food on it. You'll still eat everything on your plate. It's applied to time. You know, if you've got an hour to get ready, you'll use the whole hour. Whereas if you've only got 10 minutes, you'll get ready in the 10 minutes. You will make do with the constraints available is essentially the flip side of it. So the way I used to run my business is all the money would go into one account and then lo and behold, all the money would go out of that account and we'd be left without cash. So the moment that we decided that even before the tax man, uh, when money went into an account, we would pull money out of that first as profit and it would be locked away and we would just have to work out how to make the business run on what's left and of course lo and behold you work out how to make the business work on what's left and so we pull money out of the business for myself uh, as and my family as drawings that we operate through a trust and we do the exact same thing personally and then that profit then gets put into a variety of investments i'm not a trader i don't believe in picking the top or the bottom of the market i also don't believe in trying to have an opinion that it can or can't be done i just it's not my thing and i have no interest in it becoming (laughs) my thing so i don't get caught up in a lot of the bright shiny objects when it comes to investing Uh, i like investing for the very long term i like warren buffett's approach of buy basic stuff and keep it forever the way i do that is uh, through index funds and I really like them. They're low cost. I can get a basket of the world's best businesses. I like the stock market, not for the, like I said, the short term, but for the long term, because I think I have an affinity with the people that make the stock market work, which is business owners creating value. I do have some reticence around the profit motive in terms of how it has a very negative effect on the planet and people. And so I do make sure that I invest only in kind of ethical businesses. Now, that's a, there's a big blurry line in there. But, you know, for the most part, I will avoid anything that is fossil fuel related, weapons related, you know, things of that nature. Other than that, the majority of our wealth creation strategy comes from me building businesses, acquiring businesses, and investing in businesses. So we'll often take a stake. Uh, so essentially, we've got about uh, 15 businesses now in our angel stable where uh, we take a, a small stake of between 5 and 15% in uh, a small business that we think has the ability to make it. Uh, and we'll put them through all of our accelerators. We'll provide them with coaching and advisory 
in exchange for that stake. And I suppose you could consider that that's our high risk bucket. So instead of me putting cash into high risk stocks or startups, like a like you know the ten percent of a diversified portfolio of high risk. Most of our portfolio is quite low risk, very long term. And then the high risk stuff is, yeah, all the business investment, but really I'm not putting cash into that. I'm putting time or IP. So I'm really pleased to hear that you and Sarah get together and have a, you know, a family meeting in that way. I advocate that for most of my clients. I think it's a great idea to sit down and talk about money around the kitchen table regularly. And oftentimes it yep. falls to one person in the household to manage the money. And I think it's really uh, important that everybody in the household you know, knows what's happening with the money situation. You're in it together. And I think it's a great way to teach your kids about money as well. And I think your philosophy is right in terms of, you know, investing for the very long term, you know, not taking too much risk, having a small bucket that you're able to influence directly in your particular case with those businesses, you know, that angel funding. So, you know, that's a great idea. The only other thing I'd add is that it's usually a good idea to make sure that you've got a, a plan in place that if, if things go wrong, so an estate plan. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, insurances, wills, all that kind of admin stuff for sure. Sure. I like Warren Buffett's approach, right? And his number one rule is don't lose money. And his number two rule is don't lose money. And his number three rule is don't forget rules number one and two. (laughs) (laughs) I really like that. And I apply that to business. And I think, you know, having a will, having all the right insurances and all that sort of stuff. So I've got key man insurance with myself and a number of other key people in the business. And then, of course, we've got all of our personal stuff at home. And for me, it's just, you know, like I said, it's not so much about the money. I'm, I'm very happy to pay good money for insurance so my family have the peace of mind to know that if something happens to me and I get abducted by aliens you know they're very secure and that feels good and I'm happy to pay for that and so to me that all equals don't lose. Mm. And certainly in terms of investing it's getting a lot easier these days to invest ethically I think. (laughs) There's lots of screens. Yeah well I mean I like I like Vanguard. I mean, I just like the fact that they're very, they've been around a long time and they've got really low fees and it's really easy to uh, pick, you know, ethical options. I came across them for the first time reading Tony Robbins's book, Money Master the Game, and that works for me. Yeah. And you've got to do what works and what you're comfortable with. And, you know, some people are less concerned about ethical investing and others more so and so it's great to have the options that you can really match up with your needs yeah and the unethical ones create an extra couple of percentage return Uh, when i look at my daughter i think at what cost (laughs) would i I rather earn an extra compounded couple of million dollars over you know a decade or would i rather her be able to play with dolphins and uh, i i would i choose the dolphins you paint a lovely picture there glenn so what are a couple of questions that you had about money when you were starting out your career and, you know, have those questions changed? I mean, you, you seem to me like you keep up with your reading, you know, you're constantly seeking knowledge. Well, I guess my early questions around money were how do I make it? Mm. I suppose then my questions became how do I keep it? <laughs> <laughs> so step one, how do I make money? I learned how to do that. Step two, how do I keep it? then learn how to do that. And then I I guess step three was how do I grow it? 
and then learn how to do that. And I guess the fourth step is how do I give it away effectively? And I think that's where Sarah really comes in. Like I love making money because for me, it is directly linked to, it is my scorecard for my service to the world. So I like a good game. Every good game's got a scorecard. The more I'm able to serve people to solve problems, the more I get paid. Now, there are some professions that don't have a scorecard, like being a mum, right, doesn't have a scorecard. It's not like, you know, Julie gets paid more than, you know, Joanna because she's a better mum, if that makes sense. You know, it's a total off-books profession where the value is built into our future and our future generations. My game, the way I choose to create and score value is in the world of business and commerce. Doesn't mean it's the only way to create value, but that's, I guess, my way. And so once I understood that me solving problems for people is directly linked to making money, then my question simply became, well, how do I solve more problems for more people in a more interesting, meaningful, impactful way? And in a way where just as a result of doing that, it it helps the world and it helps people that I'll never meet. And so that's become my question. Mm. And I think uh, I'm trying to think of the movie. It might be called Equity. There's a lovely line in that that talks about it's okay to like money. And, you know, it's okay to like money and to find ways to give back to the world and, and make things better. I heard this great frame. You go back far enough and money used to be heads of cattle, right? And then it, it used to be barter. It was just inefficient. And so, you know, they created these bronze coins with kind of like a head of cattle stamped onto it as a, a transition from physical barter to more efficient means of exchange. Then it went to paper and then it went to plastic with credit cards and what it is now is it's ones and zeros and so if you imagine what is the rarest thing with light you know it's it's waves and it's particles and and essentially money is light it's ones and zeros it is true in its purest form it is energy and i think the moment you recognize that wow money is not a thing, right? It's not a head of cattle. It's not a coin. It's not a piece of paper. It's not a piece of plastic. It is a one and a zero. And that one and zero is made up of particles and waves of light. You start to go, wow, money is just a force. It's just an energy. And the way that energy flows is through the service of mankind. And can it be abused? Yeah. Can it be used to exploit human and natural resources? Yeah. Can we dig up fossil fuels out of the earth and do bad shit with it and make lots of money out of it? Yeah. Um, But, you know, the only reason that's happening is because people are finding value at the other end of it. And so the, the beauty, the thing I like most about, I guess, entrepreneurship and innovation is that people like Elon Musk and what have you are finding economically profitable ways to flip the script, to shift the narrative away from making money in a way that's bad for the world into making money in a way that's good for everybody. So is it possible, Glenn, to talk about your business ventures and the successes? And is it possible to talk about those without first talking about some failures? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that most people have made some missteps along their way of the entrepreneurial journey. The, the story, I suppose, that I opened with was my first big failure when I built a business and it was totally disassembled by the GFC. I mean, that was a serious punch in the face. You know, it caused me to question everything I thought I knew about myself and, and my business. I think it's about, though, what is failure? I mean, I guess I was fortunate that I was unemployable, right? Since the age of 14, and that experience of cleaning boats and I kind of had the entrepreneurial light bulb going off, I was never going to go and work at McDonald's or its equivalent 
again, right? It was always going to be my own thing or some version of a collaboration or, or whatever. So GFC wiped me out, but I didn't have another option. My only option was to rebuild. And so, you know, the mentor asking us the question going, hey, what are you going to do differently as a result of the lessons that you've learned? And, you know, that simple question reframed failure to go, okay, this is the game. You know, it's like you get tackled in rugby. It's like, that's not a failure. It's just a moment in the game. And the game is long. Um, You know, just because you have a fumble of the ball, right, just because your business breaks because of, you know, Corona has been the most radical market correction in the history of markets. You know, if your business is struggling because of this, you know, go a little easy on yourself. We haven't seen a market correction like this ever. I think we've seen some absolute innovation as well. Right. Every single recession has seen innovation. The last one saw Airbnb. Dropbox, the list goes on of businesses that were created in the GFC. You go back even further, uh, Disney, IBM, General Electric. There's something about a recession that really should be thought of as a reinvention or an opportunity for reinvention because what a recession really does, and I know technically we're not in a recession yet because Corona's hit so quickly, we haven't had a, you know time for two quarters to click over. But I think, I don't like to predict the future, but I think it's probable that we'll get there. You go back and every single time this happens, it forces everyone to come back to what is valuable and what is superfluous. That's it. Simple as that. And anything that is superfluous needs to get cut away. You know, the reason that economies fracture like this is because they get bloated and inefficient. In the same way with the fires in Australia, too much underbrush, not enough backburning, you know, it's just ready to light up. Too much inefficiency in, a, in an economy, the faster and harder it will crash. That when you understand that these market cycles are going to keep happening over and over and over, and they just bring everything back to core value. If your modus operandi is what's our core value, how do we deliver our core value, and how do we not get lazy, sloppy, or cocky enough to go beyond that core value, then it is highly likely that you will continue to not just survive but thrive, not just this economic you know, turmoil but all the future ones that are going to happen every seven to ten years. I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, Complacency and laziness lead to, you know, excess cost in the business and if you can, you know, get rid of all that excess and just live a night, you know, you use the word frugal. I'm not sure everyone wants to live a frugal life but live within your means and make the best. I don't think anyone that looked at my life would call me frugal, but, you know, I I could drive a $200,000 truck. I don't. I drive a $20,000 Prado because I love smashing it through the bush and getting scratches all down the side, and and I I couldn't do that to a, you know, a Mercedes 4x4. And so I guess when I say frugal, it's more about being smart. We buy electric bikes. I don't buy the brand new ones. I buy the ones that have, you know, been around the block once or twice and have been worn in and you know, a 40% of the retail price. So I guess it's more, I have a lot of the toys, but I don't have a lot of ego wrapped up in the toys. I want the fun and adventure. I don't want the status of owning. You've perfectly articulated my view on that. I'm much like you. I I don't need the bright, shiny object. I can just get as much utility out of that secondhand one or... (laughs) 
the lower cost one. So Glenn, what's your top tip for our listeners, something they can do right now to invest in themselves for the future? Back in, again, 2008, 2009, our business was dead. But the clients that we'd helped build their personal brand were all thriving. And while some of them had products and services that were no longer relevant, their personal brand was really relevant. And we said, far, and yet we were unknown, invisible. The one thing that we realized that would be most valuable in the future would be us having a strong personal brand, a clear reputation as to who we are and what we stand for. Dan has his own, I have my own. This is not a company brand. This is like Glenn Carlson. Who am I? If people are talking about me in a room, pretty predictable what they're saying. And I know it's good. And I know it's about becoming a key person of influence. I know it's about making a dent. I know it's about the global goals. I know this because I get emails and messages from people that I've never met all around the world reaching out for various reasons. And so I think the most valuable thing you could do, right, there is no return greater than you than your personal reputation, than your personal brand, than you as the key person of influence. You will get a far, far, far greater commercial return on putting $1,000, $5,000 or $50,000 into developing you as the key person of influence than you will investing in you know, index funds or than you will investing in you know, renovating your kitchen and getting the property revalued. You know, there's no return on investment that you would generate that would be higher than developing you as the key person of influence, as the future-focused, purpose-driven, value-creating force in the world. So I would recommend that if you're listening to this and you feel like that might just be you, you feel like that you're standing on a mountain of value that the world cannot yet see, then I would say that unpacking that and sharing that mountain of value with the world should be your top priority. Great advice. So where can we find you? Do you have any go-to resources that our listeners can access today? Yeah, look, I mean, you can just Google Glenn Carlson and you'll find me. You can Google Key Person of Influence and you'll find me. Uh, You can Google uh, Dent Global and you'll find me. At the moment, with all this corona stuff, every week I'm doing a, a talk to be able to help leaders calibrate you know, their business and their strategy. And, you know, in less chaotic times, I do something every month or so, but I'm just trying to help out a little more than normal during all this. So people could go to KPI, as in key person of influence, workshop.com. Uh, and if you go and register for that, and you want to sort of say hi, let me know that you you heard about it from the, the podcast from Finesse Financial. Uh, just by registering for that, we'll get you a copy of the key person of influence book, Uh, sent out. I suppose there's lots of different ways, but that would be the key. And look, if you've got anything that you want to reach out to me personally, feel free. Glenn at dent.global is my email. Awesome, Glenn. Thanks so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. And so do our listeners. You gave us some great insights and I love your top tip. Um, People can also reach me at admin at finesseadvisors.com and I can put you in touch with Glenn's team to get a book. Awesome. Hope you enjoyed the show today and have some action steps you can take right now to get control of your money. Join me, Janine Wilson, next time for Finesse Your Money. Meantime, head to my website, www.finesseadvisors.com or email me at admin at finesseadvisors.com to claim a gift voucher for a discovery session with me valued at $150. 
make sure you put gift voucher in the headline.